I'm Jay from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who podcast and part of the Gunny Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredible geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official gunnageek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, getting in the Christmas spirit. We're in the we're in that that now. I'm also pleased to say SP's here this week. Okay, I got two things to say. One is that you actually got a show above Chris last week because Chris wasn't here. <laughs> That's and, true. And two, I want to say that at the beginning of the last show, I asked our audience for help, and I actually got it in our Discord from Andrew over on the Dad IO podcast. He came in, saved my bacon. We'll talk about that later. That's true. And you wrote him on Twitter, like I said, and you asked him, why do you hate Steven? And he said, I will come back to the show this week to tell you why. Chris Farrell is here to tell us why he hates me. I'm only here to keep my numbers ahead of Steven's and show appearances. <sighs> All right. So this is actually a very true fact because Chris Farrell does outnumber how many shows of this show has been on compared to me. It's 100% the truth. And I'm okay with that. And I accept that. And that is completely fine by me. However, I will say this. I'm pretty sure I have had more episodes with Christmas shirts on. Okay. And that's, that's what matters. Well, seeing as I don't wear Christmas shirts ever, really. Yes, you, you're probably correct, Stephen. And you know what? I'm willing to let you have this one because I don't wear Christmas. I don't think I have even a Christmas t-shirt or sweater now that I think about it. I what? need to get an ugly Christmas sweater. It is today the day we're recording this, Monday, November 23rd, which means that fake Thanksgiving is coming this week, which means that you Americans will join us Canadians after this Thursday in the Christmas spirit and uh, look forward to us all being stuck at home. It's too late. COVID's already caused it to happen because people are bored and they realize <laughs> they can't go visit people. So they've already put Christmas decorations up in a lot of places. Like I was walking my dog through the neighborhood and there was at least three houses that had their Christmas trees up in their front windows now. And I was like, no, no, fight the power. It's not time yet. <laughs> I've had my lights up for weeks now. I put up more this weekend. Well, it might that doesn't surprise me because you have an addiction, Steve. <laughs> We've seen your Christmas lights set up. You have an uncomfortable addiction. Some people are addicted to beer. Some people are addicted to online games. Steven's addicted to making insane light setups that look really cool. But I'm sure your power bill goes up for the month of December. Yeah, I use LED, mm -hmm. but that only takes you so far. <laughs> what about those wacky waving inflatable arm filling tube men that you put outside? That is true. That's that is true. All right, SP, you're just sitting here looking very disgusted. <laughs> My entire family was posting pictures back and forth on uh, a, a group text message that we had of their trees going up over the last week or so. And I'm like, nope, nope, we're not going to do that until later. And then today I went on the Amazon and I've got some new inflatables for the front lawn we, this we, year. We're, we're, we don't talk about the inflatables. Those are okay. So I have some new Christmas ornaments or holiday <laughs> ornaments for the front lawn. Uh, they may or may not be inflatable. You're and allowed like, to put those outside. 
Yeah, I am. And until the police get called in, (laughs) I wanted to get some new uh, some new extension cords. So I went on Amazon and I tried to get new extension cords. They are all sold out. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. It's uh, a lot of people doing it right now and uh, probably a lot of people buying just things that they might need going into winter, given how hard some other supplies have been uh, to find lately. So you know storm season things like that i think that it's probably people people got their cords for their jennies and things like that however i know i know you and i know that you will always find a way to get your inflatable doll inflated i have to blow it up myself i will get that ornament blown up (laughs) all right so before we get into the news should we quickly tap on your comment that you mentioned mentioned about the discord because you did have someone come through and let's let's get that out of the way here and give our thanks because i was really impressed with the answer because my answer was primarily don't do it apple sucks yeah so for those that didn't listen to the last episode i was asking our audience for advice i was going to replace a very old pentium 4 windows pc on my media center with one of the new mac minis with the m1 chip in there so i was like okay I'll, i'll give this a shot it will do PC things and it's supposed to be fantastic with the M1 chip and everything. So I said, is this something that I should do? Should I not do? What are the considerations here? And Andrew from the Dat.io podcast came on our Discord server, which I asked, which you can find at gunnygeek.com slash Discord. He came in and he said that right now the Mac Mini does not support HDR, which If I'm going to have it on my main entertainment center, I want it to have HDR uh, capability. He said he didn't know if it was going to upgrade in the future or not, but it was kind of a game breaker for me and just enough to say, no, I won't do it yet. Maybe I'll do it next year or maybe I'll get it, do it when there's an upgrade to support HDR. I don't know, but basically Andrew saved my bacon for now because I would have been extremely disappointed with the performance. I did not realize that, and I thought that was fantastic advice. So thank you very much for for letting us know about that, Andrew, and uh, also talking him out of a Mac product. However, I do have a question on the the fact of HDR, and you two both have HDR. Can HDR make a video, like a movie, actually feel a little bit better? Like, let's say that you're watching a movie, and the Chris is nodding his head. Okay, so here's the theory, the the scenario: you're sitting there and you're watching a movie. And you're like, this looks kind of interesting. I've heard mixed things about it, but it seems like it'd be okay. Uh, it's, it's a backstory about how a character got to be who they were. Oh, wait, it's also about them establishing their place in the kingdom. Oh, wait, it's about fighting a villain who is also um, trying to avenge their father's death. Basically, would HDR have made Aquaman any better? Because I watched that on the weekend, and I, I thought that the plots were like all over the place. It would have made it look cooler Mm -hmm. because HDR 4K is not a big deal. 4K, 1080p to 4K. Okay, that's great. You're not really going to notice it because most people sit too far back from their TVs. HDR, that's what you're going to notice because the colors become so much more vibrant and bright, assuming things are set up appropriately to do HDR or Dolby Vision. That would, the DVD you're holding right there, just, or excuse me, the Blu-ray rather, a standard Blu-ray would not do HDR. Well, I was going to say it wouldn't have mattered anyways because I bought the standard Blu-ray of Aquaman, but ended mm. up watching it on Netflix because I didn't feel like opening it. <laughs> so I uh, guess what did I don't 
know if Netflix has it in HDR or not. Now, some stuff on Netflix is, but you would have to be on a compatible television set and set top box to do it. It was a really disappointing movie, by the way. Really disappointing. I thought so, too. Yeah, I was. I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Okay, let's face it. In the DC universe, you're not looking for an excellent, great movie. You're just looking for some entertainment. And Aquaman might not be for you, but for the females in the house, uh, you get you get a little, you know, man stuff there. I was thinking about this afterwards because, uh, number one, my little, you know, backhanded compliment, not compliment, hatred of the plots was my main critique was that there was like three plots in one. It was ridiculous. Um, but the second... Wait, there it was a DC movie with a plot, you're saying? <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but the second thing was I was thinking afterwards. It's like, oh, well, I guess some people probably enjoyed the visuals, if you know what I mean. And I thought, no! No, Momoa was... That Momoa was not shirtless a lot in that movie. Like, you know, that... That doesn't matter. Prize He's wasn't there. there. You just want to go up to him. You want to hug him. And you just want to... You know, just caress that just sculpted chest. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd cross the street for Jason Momoa. <laughs> well, that's good to know. But I have to say on my my sh- shirtless Momoa films list, it's low down. I don't have a list. Low down. You're, you're low down with the hoedown. All right. Well, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Let's go ahead and move on to the news. Woo-hoo. Good night, everyone. Oh. All right, I'll just get through my news really quick because we're, uh, yeah, we took a lot of time talking about Aquaman sucking. Uh, Google is apparently changing their policy starting January 2021, and it's all to do with third-party extensions. Yes, Google has announced that the Chrome Web Store is going to require third parties to uh, developers of third-party developers, there we go, to disclose the information that is collected through their plugins, and they need to make sure that they're disclosing it in clear, easy-to-understand language. Developers are expected to explain the kind of data that they are collecting through their plugins, such as sign-ins or personally identifiable information. Quote, the new policy also requires developers to, to certify their data use practices and display that information directly on the Chrome Web Store listing to help users understand an extension's privacy practices, end quote. That was on a Google blog post. So it looks like Google's attempting to try to track down or crack down a little bit here on some of the, I don't know, weird things that have been happening in the extension store or library, whatever you want to call it for a while. But I don't know. I wanted to mention this because I don't have lots of faith that it'll really work out. Uh, The Honor system has not worked out well for Android or Google third-party apps in the past. You have the European Privacy Information. You have the new California Privacy Information Act. You're going to see more and more of this go on. Is something's going to slip through the cracks? Yes. But for the most part, you're going to see developers try to keep themselves out of trouble as much as they can, because the one thing that they don't want to hear is lawsuit. So I kind of understand where they're going here. 
Chris Farrell, what's your thoughts on this? Are you think it's going to make much of a difference? It's going to keep them from getting sued. That's really all they did it for. I mean, this is just so the Google be like, look, look, we did the things we're supposed to do so that you can't hold us liable when something goes wrong. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. And I think that that's a valid assessment. And I think that that's the only thing that we need to talk about with this is that Google is just doing things to CYA and thus Google is a terrible company. Well, let's be fair. Any company in their position would do the same thing, which is ensure we're not going to get sued. Well, let's be honest. The do no evil version of Google hasn't really existed for a while now. All right. That's that's true. That's fair. All right. Well, you've got your Google fanboys here slamming on Google. So I guess that was a successful news story for you. Apple fans looking at you, Josh Liston and others looking at you. All right. No Apple symbol. For the audio listener, SB was holding up his iPhone, I don't know, four, and it did not have the Apple logo on the back. All right, let's move on to the next news story here, which is all about the MCU updates. What is the MCU you speak of, Chris Farrell? So this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There were just two quick updates I wanted to present to folks. The first news bit out of this, I think, is a bigger deal because a lot of folks have been wondering, what is going to happen? Are we going to get a Deadpool 3? What's Disney going to do now that they've bought up 20th Century Fox and all of their properties, which included Deadpool and Deadpool 1 and 2 made tons of dollars, were rated R comedies. Well, good news, guys. After the acquisition, it looks like Deadpool 3 has officially been greenlit. Sources told Deadline that Bob's Burgers veteran writers, Wendy Molyneux and Lizzie Molyneux Loughlin, will be writing Deadpool 3, with Ryan Reynolds set to reprise his role as the merc with a mouth, Deadpool Wade Wilson, who loves chimichangas. Evidently, these wit writers' meetings have been taking place over the past month. With Ryan, excuse me, with Ryan Reynolds recently meeting with a handful of writers to hear their pitches for the next installment. In the end, the studio and Reynolds saw the loft, excuse me, the Molyneux sisters take as a perfect fit for what they wanted and signed them on to do the deal. The film remains an early development, but the hiring of the Molyneux sisters does mark the first major step in getting the next Deadpool film into production. And this is kind of important because remember, Deadpool was very successful in 20th Century Fox. And it looks like this is going to be the only 20th Century Fox mutant property that Disney's going to take and continue doing more films about it. Supposedly, this film is going to be rated R, highly comedic, highly violent, just like we've seen before. And they're going to try and keep what worked in the previous movies going forward. One thing to note, though, is that director David Lech, or Leitch, I'm not sure how you say his last name, who did Deadpool 2, is probably not going to be available to do Deadpool 3 as he has filming conflicts through 2021, so we're not sure who's going to be directing, although supposedly studio insiders are saying the door is open for David Leitch to return if his schedule frees up, but they think it's unlikely because he wasn't even involved in all of the conversations with the possible future writers of Deadpool 3. But this is really good news. If you enjoyed the Deadpool movies, it looks like we're getting Ryan Reynolds' third real take as Wade Wilson under the mask, and I'm excited because I thought they were delightfully funny ridiculous and over the top. What a great way for Disney and Marvel to actually put in in a movie the fact that it switched over because when he breaks the fourth Mm -hmm. wall, Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, you know that's going to happen a lot in the movie. So this would be a way for them to get on in the screen in an MCU movie. The fact that they 
now own all this stuff. And it's going to blow his head saying, like, which version of, of Professor X are we going to use now? Is it going to be somebody new? You know, there's a ton of stuff that they can do. So it's so great to see this. And um, this is coming from a Marvel podcaster, but I have yet to see the latest Fantastic Four movie or the last X-Men movie. I just I did not see either of them. We didn't not just podcast yeah. about him on Legends of Shield. I haven't seen it. <laughs> don't don't waste your time with Fant Four Stick, as we call it. It looked <laughs> absolutely terrible. Uh, I think Anthony Bachman saw it because up until New Mutants, he would go opening day for every Marvel movie, and it was not good. Not good. You know, I was thinking about this, and I I think this is a good example on something that Disney kind of really needs to embrace right now, which is. One-off properties that they might have maybe thought about getting rid of, but has a base and can bring them in money because there, there's such a, a fracture amongst their different, what you would have thought were reliable franchises like Star Wars, right? You, you thought that that was like when they bought it, that would be like a go-to staple for getting people in and appreciating it a huge moneymaker. It is just not in movies. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> it is. That's true. But the thing is, um, you're... It, it's not gone the way I think it went originally when they bought it. And I think the Marvel Universe is headed that direction as well because some of the changes they've made in recent, as well as the, you look at where their television properties lied, that is a whole question mark, plus the not to mention the COVID delays. Things like this, where they're sort of standalone big properties within the one of their big universes that will get people to go watch it doesn't have much of an impact outside of the movie. I think this is a great example on that. And um, I'm excited to hear that this, they're not dumping this because it's... Well, it, uh, to uh, be uh, fair, we don't know that Deadpool does or does not exist in the MCU as we know it. Which is... It doesn't matter. They're going to reference it. That's right. all that matters. Absolutely. And I think that that's... I think that that's interesting and exciting. And I look forward to seeing... Where where this goes and like you said, what sort of breaking the fourth wall uh, jokes are in here? I'm just curious if they're actually going to go and keep filming it in Vancouver. I'm skeptical of that. Don't forget that Ryan Reynolds, once the sale was done, he actually had a whole post about that. Wasn't he on the bus going to Disney World or something like that? Yeah, something. Yeah, so he he was all psyched about this all along. And Stephen. If you don't catch this in theaters, you're just going to have to wait to see it on Disney Plus. Oh, wait, it's rated R. You won't be able to. No. It'll uh, be on Hulu. Which we don't have in Canada. So that'll be interesting mm. to see their international licensing. Just VPN over. <laughs> it, is, it is an interesting question, though, right? Because, like, I don't well, know. I, it's an interesting <laughs> topic you brought up there. If we can take an aside real quick sure. uh, when it comes to international distribution rights. Because we didn't have a chance to talk about this. I wasn't here last week, and I can't remember if it was announced in time. But Warner Brothers announced that Wonder Woman 1984 mm. is coming out in theaters and HBO Max on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I can't remember which, which is great if you're in a place that has HBO Max. But if you're like some of my followers on Twitter who live in the UK, they all went, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Because I'm not going to the movie theater because we're wrecked by COVID currently, and HBO Max is only in the United States. 
How okay. am I supposed to see Wonder Woman 84? They're, they're not. Wonder Woman is an American property. Nobody else gets to see her. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it comes off as. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be in Canada through Crave. because Crave actually has a license agreement with uh, HBO Max. Mm-hmm. And it's a really weird division of con- content because some of it apparently is under the regular Crave subscription. And then some of it, you need the Crave plus HBO. It's really odd. However, um... People are going to hate me for saying this. I'm a little worried that they're not charging for this because I'm worried about the precedent that it's it's setting here Um, because everybody complained about whatever the Disney movie was, Mulan, that came out. And they're like, yeah, how dare you charge me for a movie that that had never had its theater run? You can't do that. That's wrong. HP like Warner here has an agenda with offering it for free and it's to get HBO max subscriptions. up. That's what they're doing here is they're taking one property to try to boost revenue in another property. That's how it's being paid for. However, if it was a pop, like if HBO max was already through the roof subscriptions out the butt, they wouldn't be doing this and they would be charging it. But people are now going to look at this and they're going to go, well, they didn't charge for Wonder Woman, so why are you charging for the next film? And it's it's not a fair comparison. How We're many also people, in a COVID world. Yeah, how many people got Disney Plus for Hamilton? I, I would like to Lots. see those numbers. I don't know those numbers, but mm. how many people actually saw that? That was a revenue generator for Disney. Now, that was their plan all along, was to put Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, so it wasn't going to be released well, to theaters. It, no, it was going to go in theaters oh, okay. first, and then go to Disney+, Plus. Okay. and because of COVID, they couldn't put it out in theaters. They put it on Disney+, Plus in part, to drive subscriptions. But the here's where the line is getting blurred, and things are getting confusing for us. Wonder Woman's both in theaters and on HBO Max. That's where people are going, I don't understand the play here. It's analogous right now to Disney saying we're going to put the Mandalorian only on Disney Plus or Netflix saying we're going to put the crown only on Netflix. They're all to drive subscribers to these services. The difference here is we're taking a big, huge Hollywood movie and putting it direct on this service at no additional charge. And do I think this is going to be the case we see a year from now? No, but we're in a COVID world where they can't put movies out and they got to make extra cash somehow. And, and I, I don't have a problem with content being offered on an exclusive tier. Um, I just think I think that people aren't thinking through the whole logic of um, I, I think people who are anti being charged for like a full feature film uh, as a debut at home aren't really thinking of the big picture here because there's a reason that you get such high budget films now compared to where it was and and a lot of that's revenue and so if they're not coming up with that additional revenue then you're going to be here at like what you see with netflix netflix exclusive some of them are are really high budget some of them though you know that will only go so far though you're not going to have these huge massive budget films if all content is being just um created exclusively for streaming services that many people are signed up for already Not that it's a big factor, but it's also a factor. The fact that HBO Max and Roku still do not have a deal. This could be viewed as a forcing factor for HBO Max to get on Roku to get their deal, right? Yeah. Because 
if you're not able to stream Wonder Woman on your mm. Roku, you're going to go searching for, if you don't already have one, you're going to go searching for another device. Maybe Roku doesn't want that. So it is a little bit of a negotiation tactic, whether they meant to or not, to seal that deal with Roku. Supposedly the deal's almost done on that, if you believe what they're reporting online. So well, we'll see what happens. And I, I want to be transparent here and clear. And like my my threshold for signing up a ser- for a service to view some content is pretty low. That Crave that I said, the, the Crave is a company in Canada that has a bunch of TV and other movie uh, licenses, kind of like Netflix, but in Canada. Uh, but it also has extra partnerships with some exclusive channels, some of which is HBO. And I had signed up at one point for the HBO add-on. I forget what it was. There was something that I was watching. Oh, Shameless. I was watching that. And then my wife started to watch Game of Thrones and go through that. And then she stalled. And I'm like, hey, should we reduce that? Should we get rid of HBO? She's like, yeah, sure. And so we reduced that. So I went one month without the HBO add-on. And then the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air um, uh, uh, docu- or reunion, reunion special went on there. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll add that for another month. It was like seven bucks for, for a month because it was prorated or whatever. So like... My threshold is low because I'm willing to pay a little bit for something on there. So I want to be transparent. I'm not one of those people that says you should never add on or, or you know, it's it's a scam to make them add on or anything like that. So that's where it's at. But I just worry that people think that that all movies should be given for free that skip the skip the I, box I, office. I don't think anyone thinks that right now. Well, not free, but like, I don't know. People complain about Mulan and people were pretty... Welcome well, to the internet where people find something to complain about yeah. regardless of what I mean, we if, do. If you're alone and you, you have to pay 30 bucks, that's one thing. If you have a family and you have to pay 30 bucks, who cares? Right. I just, and, and yeah. I'm going to put my AV snob hat on for a second. I'm still just kind of annoyed that HBO Max is only 1080p <laughs> 5.1 surround sound. Where's my 4K HDR Dolby Atmos, damn it. Well, well that's, that's your... Uh, your your push to go watch it in the theater then yeah i don't want covid no i don't think anybody wants (laughs) i'm not my life is not worth going to go see wonder woman i'm excited for the movie but not excited enough to go risk covid 19 Uh, we don't have time to go down that path but i just know that this covid thing is like the the fact that we have these vaccines on the horizon i just know it's going to make these movie companies continue to stay in the past and not adopt. I just know that they're right now going to be like, well, it's around the corner that we get back to how it was because we saw there, before with, with these big companies and we'll see it again. There are people that still want to go out and still do that thing. And Stephen, you, I, I, I hate to break it to you. You're getting old. I am. I am. And I'm proud to be old. And you don't want to go out anymore. But 10 years ago, Stephen no, I did, would I, love I, to go out <laughs> to the movies. Chris listened to me on a podcast 10 years ago. Chris, did I go to the movies 10 years ago? That Steve was pretty boring 10 years ago. <laughs> well, he does live on that stupid little island. All right. Well, speaking right. of me, why don't you tell me why I'm going to die again? You're going to die again because I watched Timeless on Hulu. I finished that and they kill off podcasters in Timeless. I thought this nice was thing. about things being deorbited and hitting my house. Nothing deorbits this time. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead and tell me. I thought that there was a deorbiting happening. Yeah, you didn't read the full thing, did you? No, because I like to wait for my reaction on the show here, but that's too bad. So 
Here's what happened. There's a space.com article, but it's all over the internet that the Arecibo radio telescope is going to be decommissioned. Basically, it's decommissioned now. It's not operational. And the article in space.com, by the way, was written by Ma- Megan Bartels. So the National Science Foundation, aka the NSF, you're going to hear that a lot in a second here, announced on Thursday, November 19th, 2020, that it will decommission the Arecibo Observatory's massive radio dish after damage has made the facility too dangerous to repair. In August, a cable slipped out of its socket, but engineers evaluating the situation deemed it stable. While undergoing evaluation for repair, however, earlier this month, a second cable unexpectedly snapped. After considering three separate engineering reports, the NSF, which owns the property, has decided the facility is unstable enough that there is no way to repair the damage that does not put personnel at undue risk. In fact, the situation is volatile enough that the NSF cannot guarantee the telescope will be decommissioned in a controlled manner. The officials also declined to provide an idea of what that strategy would look like, although they actually mentioned the potential for helicopters or explosives to be considered. And in my mind, I'm thinking helicopters and explosives. So when it was operational, the Arecibo Observatory collection dish was 1,000 feet in diameter or 305 meters in diameter and had three separate radar transmitters. The dish itself was stable, was fixed, and the radio transmitters actually moved in order to point the dish in different areas. The telescope was built in between 1960 and 1963 and has been used for countless projects and the source of many scientific discoveries, including determining the rotational period of Mercury at 88 days in 1964. In 1974, it discovered the first binary pulsar and has been used over the years in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or SETI. The observatory was also the site of a scene in the 1995 James Bond film, GoldenEye. Yes. Once safely decommissioned, the visitor center, an atmospheric science instrument on the site, and a second atmospheric tool on the neighboring island of Culebra should survive. So a lot of unknowns in there. I think there's still a chance that my house is going to get crushed by something. Uh, You know, these cables are huge. I don't know if you've actually seen one of the pictures, but I'm thinking if the cable snaps well enough, it could actually catapult something from Puerto Rico all the way to your island. Fingers crossed. The ratings will be great for the show. (laughs) Especially if it's live when we're on the air. (sighs) All right. So bottom line. When did this detect V'ger? <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, it back at, I believe it was like around the 1995 time frame, 1994 time frame, in, it inadvertently observed an asteroid. So it could actually detect stuff that is out there. Uh, I haven't delved into the science behind it, but it has detected or observed small objects floating around the solar system. That's cool. Well, thank you for telling us about this. Um, given the age of it, um, I have no fond memory of it because it's old uh, and I'm not as old. But you didn't see Goldeneye? There's your fond memories. It's part of the Deep Space Network. Deep? Deep. Ah, uh, not the Dark Space Network. The, the well, Deep Space Network that's trying to observe dark matter. Is it? Is it the ninth Deep Space Network? 
I knew he was going there. He beat me to it. I was trying to get there too. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the extra, extra here. Uh, just a quick point for us to touch on. And it's all about Google Hangouts. Yes, if you didn't know this, we mentioned it. Google Hangouts, the chat is eventually going away. That's the Hangout Messenger that we have baked into Gmail and actually behind the scenes many of us use. It's it's coming to its eventual temporary rest, which is a conversion to over to uh, Google Meet is essentially the way it's going to go. There was a whole outline about that. But I noticed just today, it looks like there is a beginning rollout, at least for certain accounts, because I noticed in my Google Hangouts app, it now tells me that video is through Google Meet. Quote, video calls and Hangouts now use Google Meet. This gives you live caption, screen sharing, and more. Learn more, end quote. And when you go into a Google Hangout, for me, the video icon looks a little bit different now. So anywho, uh, looks like they're starting to roll out some features. I look forward to it being completely done. There is some documentation on there online about some various dates of when this is going to happen. But eventually, the accounts will be fully switched over, the personal accounts and It'll be good because I know for me, I've had some really weird things come up, including weird notifications. Like I'll get a notification from one of my group messages and it'll show something from months ago. It was like the other day, SP messaged me and I got a notification and he says, this is something like, sorry for the short notice, but, and it was, I was like, I went in and it was nowhere to be found. And I remembered it was from months ago. So it's bizarre, random things happening in Google, Google Hangouts. And this looks like this is the first of the migration. So, hey. There you go. Google Meet video now in Google Hangouts, maybe with your account. I'm not sure. But if you push... I was just checking and not for me yet. Well, if I push the video button, what happens is it actually generates a link is what it does. It sends a link over to the person says, join me in a Meet call. And then it gives me a random URL. So it's Oh, I see it right now. So should I click on that link, Stephen? I don't know. I don't even know what's going on with it anymore. One day it'll be converted. I actually have the Google Meet app on my phone and I didn't even know it. Oh, well, there you go. SP, do you have Google Meets on your iPhone? I do. And Stephen, if you would be less drunk, you would figure out how to work all this stuff. I don't know. I'm in a Google Meet with Chris right now, just so you know. Hi. All right. So there you go. Click on it. There you go. I'm in a Google Meet with with Chris. So there you go. That is really laggy. You guys get double the Steven now. He's going to talk to you. You know what? I I used to have it, but it got lost in the translation to the new iPhone. So I have to re-download it. I'm the only one here. I hung up on Chris because I forgot that he was there. And then I looked down and he was looking up at me. It was bizarre. (laughs) All right. So check that out. Let us know. What's your thoughts on the transition? Do you still use Google Hangouts? And is it working for you? Please get in touch with us over on our Discord server at gunageek.com slash Discord and let us know. And now I'm pleased to transition into the review that has been a year in a making. I was thinking about this. I actually was putting up my Christmas lights last year when my package was delivered before I opened it up and returned it. Chris Farrell is going to tell us all about Stadia. (laughs) 
So before we get into this, let's give everybody a backstory in case they forgot or weren't listening last year. Last year, Chris Farrell, SP, and I were kind of hemming and hawing about Google Stadia. And I said, I'm going to go and pre-order it. And I pre-ordered it. And then the reviews came out. They looked terrible. And not only that, but Google, in typical Google fashion, shipped out the bloody product and it showed up quite late. So I ended up getting it well after all the reviews came out and dogged on it. So what did I do? I opened it up and I took it and I dropped it off for return back to Google. And that was my experience with Google Stadia. However, Chris Farrell has more experience. That's right, I do. And as we get into this, a friendly reminder, I'm here to pick up the slack and do Steven's job because he was supposed to review Google Stadia. And since he refused, I'm here to do it a year later because honestly, they gave me a good excuse to. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But for those that aren't familiar, I should probably tell you what Google Stadia is. In order to do that, here is what I pulled direct from their website as their description of Stadia. Quote, Stadia is the gaming platform that lets you instantly play great video games on screens you already own. Stream games directly to your favorite compatible devices. One like you already do it. Like you already do your music and movies, so your games are ready at the moment you decide to play them without waiting for installs, downloads, or updates. So what does this mean? It's a service that's similar to NVIDIA's GeForce Now, Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass streaming, Amazon's Project Luna that was just announced, PlayStation Now's streaming service. It's cloud-based gaming. It's been, it's been a thing for a while. Stadia was announced almost a year ago, to, or released almost a year ago to the day. I think four days prior to now was when they first came out a year ago, if I'm getting that math correctly. So it has just had its one year birthday. So, okay, Steven's right. A lot of people, including us, we dogged on Stadia based on other reviews, went, man, I don't think Google really finished baking this before they put it out. So why, pray tell, do I have Google Stadia stuff to talk about today? Steven, why is that? Because you're a Google fanboy that loves all things Google and refuses to say Google is bad. All things good in Google. It's my new podcast. Go check it out. <laughs> I can be on the Getting Geek Network. <laughs> why not, right? <laughs> is, that why? Google is, is that the reason why you have Google Stadia? No. So in all seriousness, I was uh, screwing around in my email, opened an email, and saw an email direct from Google that said, hey, here's an offer for free Google Stadia stuff if you want to try it out. And I went, well, I like free stuff. What are you going to give me? And it was if I signed up for a one-month free trial of Google Stadia Pro, they would then give me the Stadia Premier Edition set of hardware. So what is that real quick? That's a Stadia controller and a Google Chromecast Ultra. So I was like, well, it's always nice. it's always nice to have a Chromecast in reserve somewhere when I need it. So I can sign up for a free month trial of this and I'm good to go. I'll get, I'll get free stuff. And I found out why I got this free offer is because I was a subscriber to YouTube Premium because I had Google Play Music back in the day, which they then transitioned to YouTube Premium. And because of that, they offered me this deal. And not only did I get one month of Stadia Pro for free, I got three months because of my service with YouTube Premium. So I've got until February, I think it is, to play around with Stadia Pro. So what came in the box? I talked about it. A Chromecast Ultra, and full disclosure, I haven't even plugged in and done any setup on it yet because the Chromecast Ultra requires an HDMI port that allows for 4K, HDR, things like that. And I don't have any open on my receiver right now. So I didn't plug it in. I didn't set it up on anything. 
that didn't stop me from playing any Google Stadia games. Keep that in mind. Also in the box, the Google Stadia controller. Mine is in the clearly white color. They did not give you the black or mint controller. You only got this controller, which is white with grayish black buttons and orange highlights for some reason. Typical Google, they like their weird highlights. Also included in the box, a USB A to C cable for the Stadia controller for both charging and plugging directly into your devices. So yeah, I, I did all right. Normally it's $99.99 for this. I think they're selling them for $69.99 as part of their Black Friday deal, but I got a hundred bucks of stuff for free. So I don't think that's too bad, right? That seems like a good deal. Um, if someone said, hey, I'm going to give you $100 in free product, or I'm not going to give you $100 in free product, what would you say? I mean, I mean, a, a Google Chromecast Ultra, which of course is now probably end of life because they're putting out a new Chromecast, was 80 bucks. So I looked at it that way. I was like, okay, at the very least I have a Chromecast. I can throw in a travel bag if I ever get to travel again. Plus, you can also throw it away when you don't have use for it because it's so old and slow. Well, one of the things I thought was really cool with the Chromecast Ultra, and we probably talked about it and I forgot, but in the AC adapter brick, there's an Ethernet jack built into it. So if you have a bunch of Ethernet cables behind your television or where you're plugging into, you can plug Ethernet direct into the Chromecast, which I thought was kind of cool. That is a separate thing that they sell too. that you can you can actually do um, Ethernet on all Chromecasts. Uh, I don't know about the current. Gen. Okay. But I, yeah, know I don't either. You used like originally you kind of had to do it through a third party uh, option, which is what I had. And then they had an actual device that they sold. And this is the same thing actually with the Fire Sticks too. They actually sell a separate Ethernet one too. Is this the Chris review of Stadia or is this the Steven I'm trying to give my review now, even though I failed for the past year review? Sorry, I, I just don't know that you were kind of silent there and I'm just trying to inject as much as you usually do in segments. So that's all. Okay. <laughs> so let's get back into the Stadia side of things real quick here. There are two tiers to Stadia. There's a standard free tier that will allow you to play any games you purchase. There is also the Stadia Pro tier, which I have a trial subscription to that gives you a bunch of free games similar to like Xbox games with gold, PS Now and things like that. So I have not had to buy any games for my Stadia yet. I am just playing games that are given to pro subscribers. They'll go away when my subscription lapses. So let's get into some background. We talked about a little bit. About four days ago from now, Stadia turned one year old. So like Steven noted at launch, there were a lot of reported issues. It's part of why he returned his kit without even opening on it. And hey, we all dunked on Stadia a bit because it was fun. But we can look at it about a year later and see how things have shaped out, how well it worked for him. But before I can start getting into my experiences with it, I have to give a couple caveats or some background as to what my setup is here at my house, because it's a streaming service. So it's going to be relying on what you have for your cables modem or your internet service, what your local area network is like. So full disclosure, right now I have Xfinity slash Comcast gigabit internet in my house. I have an Eero mesh Wi-Fi set up in my house. And when I'm on the mesh Wi-Fi, I can generally pull about 400 megs down on a single device that's connected and get about 25 up. So bandwidth is not generally a limitation for me. What I did find out when I was researching this is if I'd had Google's Nest Wi-Fi, there are options in the router to optimize for Stadia gameplay. They have it baked into their own routers. I don't have that. What I do have in the Eero is the ability to check a box to optimize for conferencing and gaming which I did have turned on, which is basically a quality of service tool. Steven, you're shaking your head. 
ridiculous. Ridiculous that something is set up with the service so much that they have to have a setting to optimize for Stadia because so many people have the Google well, Wi-Fi. I, it, I think it's just a typical Google thing of they toss something extra in that works with their services. I don't think we're I think we're reading too much into it if we're thinking this has to be done to make this work. I don't think and that's the case. If I'm not mistaken, Chris, you're not really a fan of the Google Nest Wi-Fi. I did not I did not have a good experience with the Gen 1 version of it. In fact, I purchased it on eBay, set it up, and the mesh product was slower than the single Wi-Fi router I had in my basement, even when I was on like the top level of my house. So I ended up reselling on eBay and I think I lost 10 bucks to play with Google Wi-Fi for a week or so. And I, I think the version two of the product is better, but I haven't had a chance to look at it. But Google, if you want me to look at it, give me another free offer code for stuff and I'll gladly disable my other network for a month and do a review of Google's Nest Wi-Fi products. And I would say that you might even you know go back to Eero and say, Eero, if you want to give me the Wi-Fi 6 stuff to play around <laughs> with and compare sure. with Nest, you'd be all for that too, right? Uh, sure. And I will, full disclosure, and I've talked about on the show, I'm a very happy Eero customer. That has been a purchase that has worked out really well for me and has solved a lot of issues I had in the house. And Eero has been mostly rock solid for me. Plus, if someone wants to go ahead and, and like Tesla, give him a vehicle to try out, I'm right. sure he'll give it a try as well. Cybertruck. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get back into Stadia. Stadia Pro, like I mentioned, you get free games each month, and there's a selection of, I want to say, probably 40 games right now that are free. It's like I mentioned, similar to Xbox's Game with Golds and PS Plus's free games. When my Stadia Pro subscription expires in February, I will no longer have access to any of these pro-level games. However, comma, had I bought something like Watch Dogs Legacy or some of the other games that are available to purchase in the store, I can play them whenever I want on whatever devices I want. They are just capped at either 720p or 1080p. I don't have access to 4K gaming. So you don't have to use the Google Stadia controller to play games. However, comma, it's probably your best way to do controller-based gaming. But if you don't want to buy one, that's fine. You can connect any wired controller to your device, be it a PC, a tablet, or a cell phone. You can connect Bluetooth controllers. So if you just bought a new Xbox or a PlayStation, in theory, you could Bluetooth connect your controllers to play. I was using Google Stadia controller, which is normally a $69.99 purchase. It came included in that bundle that's retailing for $99.99, but is on sale for $69.99 due to Black Friday right now. This gives you three ways to connect. And the best way to connect to play that I found is there's actually a Wi-Fi card built into this. And when you are playing games in the cloud, you can connect your controller via Wi-Fi directly to that data center, for lack of a better term, so that when you hit a button here, it's going over Wi-Fi direct to the data center versus through your phone over Bluetooth or USB to the phone, to the data center. So it's a bit of a quicker way to play. It's actually a really cool way to do gaming for cloud-based setups. And they've made it relatively simple most of the time to pair your Stadia controller. So when you decide you want to play a game on whatever device, in my use case, I was mostly playing on my laptop, you'd go to stadia.google.com, you'd open it up, and there's a button in the top right-hand corner that says pair a controller. And when you hit that screen or that button, it brings up a little pop-up that has a four-button combination that you then turn on your controller, put in that button combination, and it'll then pair with your with your game instance in the servers. The controller will vibrate a couple times. You'll get a green checkbox that appears on screen, and it'll say your controller is connected. 
and show the current battery status of it. When it works, it works great. However, on the laptop, at least, I would run into issues probably about one out of every five or six times where it would just refuse to pair and it would vibrate like it paired, but it would not show up on screen as paired. So I'd have to turn it off, close the browser, reopen the browser, and then it would pair fine probably 90% of the time when that happened. If it wouldn't pair after that, I'd have to close the browser, right-click, run as administrator the browser, and then that somehow made it so that I didn't have any pairing issues. So there are some weird hiccups when it comes to pairing over Wi-Fi your controller. It's a lot easier if you want to do USB. You would literally just connect the USB-C port into the top of the controller and then plug the USB port into the side of your laptop, your tablet, or your cell phone, and then you'd be connected automatically and be playing over that USB connection. That's the second easiest way to do it and probably the second most optimal way. The worst way to play is via Bluetooth because Bluetooth has lag inherent in it, and then there's also lag in it going from your cell phone to the data centers, so it's the laggiest way to play. Don't use Bluetooth unless you have no choice is what I would say. Plus, it would be really uncomfortable, right? Because how would you put that controller on your ear? Because everybody always right. says that that's, that's a Bluetooth, right? The thing that goes uh, on your ear? I guess that is one way of looking at it. So what I would say is the controller, if you get one, it's the best way to play. I would play via the Wi-Fi connection. But if you don't have access to do it, you can connect directly to your device. I was pretty satisfied with it. You can also use if you're playing on a PC or excuse me, in the browser, because it doesn't matter whether it's a PC, Mac, Chromebook, whatever. You can use mouse and keyboard to play games if those are supported. Uh, if you've played any games using an Xbox controller or the Switch Pro controller, the Stadia controller is going to be pretty familiar feeling to you. It, how do I describe this best? It feels comfortable in the hand. It's solid and it's clicky in the right way. Like you've got a little bit of click to your buttons, but it's not overwhelmingly and plasticky sounding. For a Gen 1 version of a controller, Google did a really good job on this, I thought. It's got your usual buttons. You've got two trigger buttons. You've got a D-pad, two thumbsticks, your A, B, X, Y. Google then added a few other buttons that work on some devices. There's a button on there to capture a screenshot. So it could be, oh, I did something really cool in Stadia. Get screenshot, and it'll take a screenshot of whatever's on screen at the time. There is the Google Assistant button because you could trigger the Google Assistant use the microphone in your controller to ask it a question and then do things through there. However, comma, that doesn't work in the uh, mobile version on a cell phone or on the Google Stadia website version. I believe it only works in the Chromecast version. And since I didn't ever hook up my Chromecast, I don't know how well that works. There's also Stadia buttons that are similar to, uh, excuse me, the Stadia button that's in the center of the controller. Think of that like the PlayStation and Xbox button. You hold that down to turn on a controller, you hold it to pair, and if you tap it, it brings up, for lack of a better term, the Stadia menus that get you to your friend screens, your achievements, things like that. I will say, this is a really nice controller. I've enjoyed it, and when my Stadia Pro subscription expires, I'll probably have no games left that work on there, but I will happily connect this to my computer via USB or Bluetooth and use it to play other games going forward. It'll probably replace the old Xbox 360 wired controller I've been using to play certain games on my desktop. So at the very least, I got a slick new controller that works really well for me. That's awesome. I actually uh, was really curious about the controller. That was, believe it or not, that was one of the reasons I did originally do the pre-order because of my curiosity on the controller. It looked, it looked nice. 
and it sounded like they had put some effort into it. And that that's really reassuring. Um, actually, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with how well it works and it's solid. The battery life isn't that great when you're connecting over Wi-Fi. I would say it's analogous probably to a PS4 DualShock controller, which I don't think has the greatest battery life. But much like the DualShock, if the battery runs out, just plug it into whatever device you're playing on. And it should charge because the way USB-C works on like cell phones and tablets, in theory, that could be able to charge your gamepad while you're playing. I didn't try it now that I'm thinking about it because I was just as happy connecting wirelessly. How much does the Stadia controller go for? 70 bucks is what the controller goes for. That's, That's not bad, I guess. Yeah, but okay. so here's what I would say. If you want to if you want to get a controller to play games on your computer, don't buy a Stadia controller if you're not going to be living in the Stadia ecosystem, really, because I think you can get other controllers for cheaper. Like, for instance, right now, all of the Xbox Series S slash X controllers they just put out, they're on sale for 40 bucks as part of Black Friday, and they'll connect wirelessly via Bluetooth or they'll connect via wired to any of these same devices. And I think they're better. Now, granted, it's also like the fifth gen version of a controller that Microsoft has done. But you get more bang for your buck if you could look at some of the more traditional controllers out there. If you're someone who's really invested in Stadia, this is the way to go would be the Stadia controller. Is there an attachment that you could put on the Stadia controller so that you can put your Note 7 on top and play a game that way? There is a clip that you can purchase. It is not part of the bundle that I was given. They do sell it on the Google store and you can buy third party clips on uh, Amazon and various other sites. And I do actually have a clip for my Xbox controller, but it doesn't fit on this controller because if I put it on there, it would hold down the Stadia button. So my Xbox clip doesn't fit on the Stadia controller. Well, that's good because I've been looking for something to do with my Note 7. Other than starting bonfires. So let's get into the gaming aspect of things, because that's the real meat and potatoes when it comes to this. I primarily played on my Microsoft Surface Book One, just because that's the device I have with me the most. That was easiest to play with since we're working from home. I did try it also out on my cell phone, which is Google Pixel 2 XL, which is slightly older. So for the most part, I was at 1080p or 720p, and none of the games I was playing supported 4K. However, if a game does support 4K, you are able to play that. But here's where the limitations come in when it comes to your internet connection. To play 4K, it requires a 35 megabit per second download, and it will use up most of that pipe. So you're going to be using up a lot of your internet connection, and if you have a smaller or a lesser connection, that might completely take over and nothing else will work. Some games don't support 4K at all, but some do. I was reading up and found out, like for instance, Borderlands 3, you can play in 4K on Stadia, However, when you play in 4K, it drops down to 30 frames per second to compensate. Uh, For comparison's sake, Borderlands 3 is playable on like PS5 and Xbox Series right now. It'll play 4K 60 frames per second with the update that they put out there. So you are seeing some difference between the next-gen consoles and the Google Stadia stuff. And from what I could tell from research and reading what some other folks had said in their reviews of the current state of Stadia, when it comes to the types of games you're playing, when they're ported over to Stadia, they're roughly equivalent to what you would see in PS1, excuse me, PS4 and Xbox One games. They are not equivalent to what you're going to be seeing in these optimized versions for PS5 and Xbox Series S slash X, which sort of makes sense because remember this came out in the previous generation. So this is a service that's predicated on you need to have a good connection to play. And I will say, when I had a good connection, 
it was rock solid and you would not notice any weird controller lag, anything like that. I didn't notice any degrade degradation of the video. It worked great, but it was really strange in my house. Like sitting in my chair, my connection wouldn't stay consistent. Like if I was hardwired in the network, no problem. Like my Surface Book 1, I have a USB to Ethernet adapter plugged into the side of it because it doesn't have an Ethernet jack. And when that's plugged in, rock solid, no problems. I was able to have excellent signal strength and the game never gave me any issues. But on Wi-Fi, it was really a mixed bag for me. And no one else had reported anything like this. So I'm trying to figure out why my instance was so weird. And it wasn't consistent either. But I would be sitting upstairs in my recliner in my living room. I'd be about six to eight feet away from one of my Eero mesh nodes. And I'd be connected to that node because I checked. And the Surface Book connection would ping pong back and forth between being excellent and fair connection. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Is is do I not have a good connection? I went and ran a speed test. So I was getting 300 megabits per second down on speed test at least. So I don't know why this was happening that through my mesh setup, occasionally my Surface Book would just drop. Maybe it's a bad or the Wi-Fi card's not good in it or something. Comparison to newer stuff, I would have weird slowdown instances. And then when that happened, my display and controller would seem to get really out of sync. Like I'd hit a button on the controller and it would take like five seconds before I'd see what was happening on screen doing it. And it would do that for like 30 seconds and then recover. And it was the strangest behavior. And I did see the same behavior on my Pixel 2 XL on Wi-Fi, random slowdowns on my network. So I'm not sure if it's an issue with my mesh connection. I did jump on to uh, Xfinity has open Xfinity spots that you can log into if you have an Xfinity account. I jumped onto one of those next door and... I saw similar issues there. So maybe I was just unlucky. Maybe it's a router issue. I don't know, but I've never had the same kind of problem happen when I was playing with NVIDIA's GeForce Now or Microsoft's Game Pass streaming services. Once I was connected to the network via Wi-Fi, it stayed relatively consistent. So I'll say this, when it comes to playing games, if your connection stays rock solid, you're good to go. But as soon as that connection starts to degrade, the gameplay experience on Stadia was was not great. But I think that's going to be the case with any of these cloud-based streaming services, is if your connection's not good for some reason, which I haven't been able to figure out, then the gameplay experience goes down the toilet a little bit. Did you try buying Google Wi-Fi to see if it made a difference? I'm not made of money, so I did not try that. What? I, the, the of best course I you did are. To, the best I did to mitigate that, like I mentioned, was jumping onto the Open Xfinity hotspot. I guess in hindsight, I could have plugged in one of my old, disabled my current mesh setup and plugged in the old router I have and tried that. But at that point in time, I didn't care enough. And maybe I'm overblowing how big of a deal it was, but it seemed to happen every 10, 10 to 15 minutes or so. I'd have a weird slowdown like that for... 30 to 50 seconds, it seemed like it. But if you're in the middle of some gameplay, intense gameplay, it's really not going to be a good situation for you to go so out of sync like that, that you have no idea what's going on and get a pop-up that you may lose your connection and need to save your game. So it consistently happened for me on Wi-Fi, but it did not happen for me when I was wired in, and I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't play nice with Euro is the only thing I was thinking. Uh, a little bit of company interaction there, you know, trying to prevent, trying to make you go to well, the Google Nest system. I, I don't know if it's that. <laughs> it could be the implementation of how they handle quality of service. And there are potentially issues with Eero with what they call buffer bloat that could have been hosing me up a little bit. So 
it, it was a weird issue. When this service works, I thought it was comparable to sitting down and playing a game on my Switch or my Xbox One, stuff like that. It looked about the same, seemed to respond just as quickly. No problems there. I just thought of something on your point there, by the way. Uh, just a little friendly reminder, Eero is owned by who? Amazon. And Amazon just announced what? Prime Gaming? Uh, Amazon Luna, I believe, is what the service is. Ooh, he's a conspiracy. Yeah, but Amazon... <laughs> okay, we can put our conspiracy hat theory hats on and say that, but I really doubt that would be the case, that they're going into the company they bought that they've pretty much just set in the corner and said, here, follow your own privacy concerns and we'll keep funding, but we'll bake in some Amazon features and degrade service just for Google Stadia. Stadia is not that much competition. If they're going to degrade services, it needs to be for like Xbox Live or PlayStation Now or something like that. All but right. we can go the conspiracy theory route and have some fun with that. <laughs> I'll defer to you on that. <laughs> All right. So I had another uh, feature I wanted to talk about or another aspect of Google Stadia, and that's the googly features, for lack of a better term. When it was first announced, it seemed like there could be a bunch of cool, revolutionary new features, as they put it, that you'd be able to do in the cloud. They announced things like integration with YouTube, uh, integration with the Google Assistant, streamers being able to interact with viewers in exciting ways while they're playing, YouTubers being able to share links for fans to recreate moments from their videos. And you could even use the Google Assistant to show you a clip of how to overcome challenges in a game if you were stuck. When this launched in November 2019, uh, none of that stuff was there. Now, supposedly some of it is available now, but I wasn't seeing it available in the games that I was playing as part of the pro free tier and full disclosure, that was mostly super hot. There's two different versions of super hot. I was playing and um, oh my God, what's the other indie game that I forgot? I, don't, I can't remember, but none of them seem to have these features, but supposedly on select games, they do have stream connect, which allows you to embed other players streams in your own is like a picture in picture, supposedly good for team coordination in games like the division two and orcs must die three. I do have orcs must die three, so I can try that. There is state share, which creates web links to specific places within a game This is used to create links that let a player jump straight through a particular mini game or lobby. I didn't have a chance to try that. Crowd play adds a queue feature to YouTube gaming where viewers of a stream can request to join their streamer for a game. I didn't stream anything on YouTube gaming, so maybe it would have worked then. And then crowd choice, which was to allow streamers to give their viewers direct control over certain aspects of the game through polls on YouTube. I didn't get a chance to do any of these, so I don't know how well they work. I've read various reviews that say it's there, but it's not in many games. So it's more of, okay, we checked the box and that works at some point in time. The thing that I was really curious about was back at the game developers conference in 2019, Google had showed off the ability and talked about the ability for Stadia games to stream directly to YouTube without needing to use any software like OBS or XSplit. And for background, OBS and XSplit is what Steven and I use for live streaming the shows that we do on here. And you pretty much capture a feed off of your computer and rebroadcast that out to Twitch or YouTube gaming, things like that. Stadia was promising you'd be able to hit a button and from within the Stadia instance in your phone or web browser, start streaming immediately to YouTube's gaming portal. Yeah, a year later, that doesn't work. You can see where the button is and it's grayed out and just says coming soon. That was the feature I thought was really cool and could make it slightly competitive with Twitch and other and Mixer at the time services because you just play the game and you hit a button and start streaming. You don't need OBS. You don't need to run video feeds into your computer or anything like that. 
They do have an option right below where this feature would be if it worked that'll take you through how to set this up to work in OBS. I didn't try putting it in OBS. I probably should have. It might be pretty easy. I imagine they're probably just giving you a web feed that you put in as a source to OBS and you're good to go from that point. But you can stream. It's just not built natively into uh, Stadia like Google had promised, which I thought was kind of a bummer. All right, so a couple other things we need to talk about here. Game availability. Well, let's be honest. This is still a weakness for Google Stadia. When you go and open the Stadia store, there's like 100 some odd games that are in there. And it's a mixed bag of things. There's some new releases. There's a bunch of indie games. But here's how we can get a rough idea of how their game availability compares to things like Steam or Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, things like that. Look at Metacritic's top 100 games of just the past year. And some of them are re-releases and things like that. But of those 100 games, only five at this time are available on Stadia. Five out of the 100 top games so far of 2020. And that's F1 2020, Doom Eternal, Risk of Rain 2, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which just came out like two weeks ago, and Spiritfarer. Okay, so you've got five of the top games. They did have Watch Dogs Legion that just came out. They've got Cyberpunk 2077 that's coming, and they're doing a bundle where you can get the Founders Edition with it. But there's not really the games there for someone to be like, oh my God, I have to play this on Stadia, let alone exclusives. I mean, exclusives is why people choose to buy certain platforms or buy into certain platforms. And they don't really have a Stadia exclusive set of games that makes someone go, oh my God, I have to play this. So if there's games there you like, you can buy them on Stadia and play them. That's great. But the games you want may not be available there right now, which is too bad. There's not more cross platform games, you know, like I'll just use squadron since it's the biggest one that I play, Mm -hmm. you know, like other things, maybe, I don't know, call of duty or something like that, but it's too bad that they don't have more uh, interactiveness with the, the major cross platform games because it, it would enhance the product. So the big thing they're selling themselves on when it launched and is one of the free games of pro is destiny two and a bunch of the DLC. So when you play that, you'll be able to interact and play with people that are playing in other systems is my understanding. But I, I tried getting into destiny. It just never really happened for me. So I think I did enough just to launch and go, okay, cool. That sort of works on Google stadia, but I don't really want to play this game. So that, that that's their big <laughs> cross-platform one where that allow you to play with other folks is that. And I think uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is also available as a Stadia Pro member. You get it for free, which will also allow cross-play between other PC cert platforms. And uh, I believe it may even delve into consoles. I'm not 100% sure. It's just they don't have like the new stuff, like you mentioned Call of Duty and things like that doesn't seem to be on there at this time. Which is annoying. Yeah, sounds very annoying. Speaking of annoyances, there are a couple that I had as I was reviewing this. Uh, Only on set-top box do some of the features work. Like I mentioned, uh, the Google Assistant feature, they have a button on the controller to be able to trigger it. Yeah, it doesn't work on any of the tools that I was using. It only seems to work on Chromecast Ultra. Now, I made a point of saying Chromecast Ultra because there is a new Google Chromecast that came out, the one they say that has Google TV on it. Yeah, Stadia is not available on there at this time. Then there is uh, the NVIDIA Shield, like I have a Shield TV, which runs Android TV. It's arguably probably the best Android streamer out there. Yeah, Stadia is not available on there. You can sideload and it might work, 
but you're sideloading pretty much the cell phone version of it. So you're limited to what the cell phone capabilities are. So I could only get it to go on a TV if I used the Chromecast Ultra that was provided in the box. And like I said, I just didn't want to hook it up. And I guess I could have sideloaded onto my Shield TV. I just didn't care. I was lazy. The Shield TV is not lacking for horsepower. It certainly could have handled a uh, 4K video feed in theory from Google servers. But since I'd be sideloading an app that was coming from a cell phone, I was probably capped at 720p. I'm not a big fan of sideloading anything because, you know, it's extra few steps in order to get to it. And it's not meant to work that way and stuff. And it's like uh, recently with Fortnite on iOS, there's now a backdoor where you can kind of get to it through Safari versus the App Store. But you lose all sorts of functionality. So it's almost like not worth it. So it, it, it's side loading so, and backdoors are just not big for me. So there's a distinction here, though, between iOS and Android. Is Android, you've always been able to sideload. And all it really is is you uncheck a box in Google settings to allow to installing from third party sources. I mean, it's not unheard of for people like, well, I like this app and it's not available anymore. So I'm going to sideload a version of it. It's, it's not really as difficult in the Android side of the house to do that. Whereas Google, excuse me, iOS, you're kind of having to make more use of exploits and things like that to do it because they try to keep you from doing it. And uh, also, I have to say a mobile app, though, side loaded to like a Fire Stick doesn't always work that great. I've, yes. I've tried a few times and it's not been a good result. And that was what people had reported on the NVIDIA Shield subreddit was they had taken the Stadia app and they had sideloaded on there. And at one point in time, the only way to do setup properly was you had to have a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard connected to it to do the initial setup because it wouldn't work with controller or things like that because it's not intended to full disclosure. It's not supposed to run on there. So people are trying to find ways within the limitations of the app to make it work. It's just, I don't think it's ever going to be coming to anything but Google's own hardware that they are making themselves in part because NVIDIA has their own streaming app that is competition to Google Stadia. So it was annoying. It's not necessarily a deal killer because of Chromecast Ultra that it would have worked on, but the Chromecast Ultra is just redundant in my HV rack because I already do anything that a Chromecast would do on my NVIDIA Shield. So I didn't set it up. I, I guess I could toss it on their TV and try it, but I read enough online about how it works. It would have just been like playing on the web, only it's streamed to my TV, and the Google Assistant would have worked. The other thing that really, really annoyed me is the Stadia store. Like you go on the Steam store, the Xbox Live store, the PlayStation store. They have these great, robust search tools to help you find things, and they'll pop to the top of the screen. Here's what the most popular games are. Uh, what, what's Google's biggest business they make the most money off of that got them started in tech world, Stephen? I am. Um, I think they created an iPhone. <laughs> no, but it's searching. Google's well known for their ability to search and be able to do things mm. unless you're on the Stadia store where there's no search feature. What? Yeah, you can't search the Stadia store to find a specific game. Or if you can, I couldn't find the right way to do it. So I was basically going through lists to try and find, okay, where is the free with pro games? And when I found that, just expanding that entire list to show me all of those games, I couldn't like put in Destiny 2 in a search bar somewhere and have it bring me to that. That just boggles my mind that there is no search baked into the Stadia store. Well, you couldn't search, Chris, because you were holding it wrong. Yeah, I guess that could be it. 
in all fairness, they probably only thought three people were going to actually look at the store. So, yeah, uh, I guess uh, I guess the best way to find a game really, in the stadium- really, no, no, I'm not going to let that slide. Really, no. When you're developing this thing, you're developing it so that you can purchase stuff, so that you can make money through the Google Store and the Google infrastructure that is stupid that you can't search for stuff i don't disagree it's what baffled me the most now granted there's also not a ton of games on there so at this point in time it's not necessarily hard to find games there's only like a hundred titles i think on stadia right now so as infuriating and annoying as it is you only have to scroll through a list of a hundred things or so right now to try to find what you're looking for as that grows they need to have that search feature in there like I can't imagine trying to buy a game on Steam without being able to search for it. I'll bet they'll fix it after a year. <laughs> Look, I, I think, so this is going to take me to the end of here. Where, where I, here's why I really think about Stadia. I think it's a Gen 1 Google product here. It's something they put out and people pay to get a part of this service and they're basically paid beta testers. I think this is just the next iteration of a beta of what they want to do when it comes to cloud-based gaming. And I don't think Stadia as it exists now we are going to see a year or two from now. I think Google is going to pivot it into something else. I don't think it's going to get shuttered necessarily. I think it's going to get turned into another kind of service. And after my experience of playing with this for probably 10, 12 days or so, I can tell you this. I'm not the target audience for Google Stadia. Google Stadia is more targeted towards the folks that want to dabble a little bit in gaming. And this is the easiest way to do it is just plug a controller into my computer or connect to my Chromecast and play. I've got three consoles connected to my TV upstairs. So I've got plenty of options available when it comes to gaming. And those are all going to be better options for me right now because they're all local. They all are going to put out a better picture and they're not going to bog down my internet connection streaming potentially 35 megabits per second worth of data to do a 4K feed. So I'm not the target. So when this pro trial expires in February, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to continue it because there's no need. I'm going to, I've dabbled. I've had a little bit of fun with it. And that's fine. If I buy any games, I'll still have access to them. I'll be able to play them for free because I'll have purchased them. But I haven't bought anything yet because there's nothing that really jumped out at me as, oh my God, I have to have this because I either have it on Steam already, want to get it for one of my other consoles or something like that. Like they gave me a $10 credit when I signed up. $10 credit good towards your first purchase. And I started going through the games and went, I don't know what I would spend this on right now because I don't know what game I'd want to play long-term in the Stadia environment. But if you want to dabble, maybe it's worthwhile. A standard Stadia account, like I mentioned, is free. If you buy games through Stadia, you'll always be able to play them as long as the service exists. I I think the best way to look at Stadia right now, and I I wrote this down so I'd be able to remember this correctly, Stadia is a free console service that you get bundled with your Google account. All you need to do is buy the games you want to play and you're set. You don't drop 500 bucks on an Xbox or a PS5, then buy another game and go. This is something that's included as part of your Google account, basically. And you can buy any games you want that are available in that store and play with no additional cost. So when you look at it that way, as a a free gaming service bundled as part of your Google account, maybe there's a value proposition there. It's not for me. The tech is cool. I think they've made some interesting progress. I think it's promising where they may go at some point in time. But I just, I, it's, it's not for me. I don't see myself really using it. And I don't, most of the people that I play games with, or most of the folks that I know that play video games, I don't think it's for them either. I think this is, like I said, a way to get folks who are like, 
well, I want to try some stuff out from time to time and I don't have to invest in a bunch of hardware. Maybe this is the route for you. So Google Stadia, it's, it's okay. It's just not for me. I have one question for you. All right. Can you play your Xbox Series X through your Stadia? No. Then it's useless. <laughs> Google Stadia will only allow you to play games that exist in Stadia. So it's not like it's going to reach back to my local devices I have here. Now, in theory, you can play your Xbox games streamed from your Xbox console if you wanted or from Microsoft servers. Honestly, and you, br you bringing that up made me think of something. I think the other cloud-based gaming services we've seen out there, they've got a lead on Google, but I think they're more robust and I think they're in a better position right now. And other than Amazon's Loom, Luma or whatever it is, because I haven't had a chance to look much into it. I think it's just starting out and I don't know a ton, but like NVIDIA's GeForce Now service, I think is a better service right now. And it's got a few years head start, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't see this really working long-term for Amazon. I see them being able to pivot it into something else. I just don't know what. You mean Google? Yeah, sorry. I think Amazon's <laughs> good. But I think Amazon's going to be in the same boat. Is I don't. Amazon's been trying to build up their own gaming division and have a game studio and stuff like that. I think they're in the same boat. I think they're too late to it, and I think there's other services already better. Wait, wait a minute. When did Amazon and Google get into the shipbuilding business? <laughs> you said Give they're in the time. same boat. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, fire. That's fair. I think it's more of an Elon Musk thing because he's into transportation, but well, I have three things to say about this. Number one, thank you very much for doing this. Very much appreciate sure. that. Uh, number two, uh, I, it's actually a question on number two. Where do you sit on the Google graveyard sense? As far as this goes, where do you feel? Where are you feeling after using it? They've got a lot of cash invested into it right now, and they've been making a lot of big talk about it. But when you start to see things like get all this stuff for free, if you sign up for Stadia Pro for a month, I kind of go, hmm, spider sense tingling. They're trying to do something to bring new people in because something isn't clicking. The fact that they're kind of focusing on a little bit for their Black Friday sale doesn't quite feel like a fire sale yet, but it seems like they're trying to get people hooked in. I don't know what their numbers are. I don't think they've shared what their subscriber numbers are, but I don't think Stadia as it is now, we're going to see in a year or two from now. I think it's going to get pivoted into something else. It's going to get built into some kind of YouTube product for gaming or something like that. I, I just don't think they have the numbers of people playing to make it worthwhile as a Google project. And this is one that I don't think I would necessarily blame Google if they put in the graveyard. Gotcha. Well, the third thing I got to say, and that was my Google Stadia review. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> That's fine. I called you out at the beginning of the segment. <laughs> no, seriously, thanks for doing that, Chris, because I really, I, you know, I've, I've been a little curious, but like, I don't know, maybe three times in the last year I've been curious. So, so here's how I would qualify my curiosity level. of I was not curious enough to spend my own money to try out Google Stadia. But when they said, here, here's free stuff to try Google Stadia, I went, okay, I'll give it a try. It was my first thought. My second thought was, oh, it's content for the Gutta Geek show now. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks Google I'm sure you probably don't like my review <laughs> once your subscription lapses you could send it off to somebody like Anthony or something and see what he thinks of it and see if there's a different sure. uh, viewpoint Be of it but that being said here's the thing with Stadia right now anyone can try the free tier of Stadia you just have to buy a game to be able to play right now 
And I think they're giving everyone who signs up the one month trial of the pro tier. So in theory, if as if Steven decide, oh my God, I, based off what Chris said, I want to give this a try myself. He could just go to stadia.google.com, sign up for his free month, play a bunch of the games they have as part of the pro tier. He just wouldn't have the fancy controller or a Chromecast to throw on his big screen right. to do it. I do have an actual question here. How would you compare this to the Switch? Because it seems like it's almost comparable. I mean, I know there's differences, but... So in all seriousness, the kind of games that are on Stadia, I don't know how many of them actually exist for the Switch. Some of the indie titles maybe exist on both. No, no. Okay, but- so let's let's back up for the, from the games just as a device itself. Like if you're going to spend... I know it's a lot less money, right? But if you're going to spend money on a portable mobile i can do it on multiple different places uh thing would you get a stadia or would you get a switch i'm oh, guessing switch is switch where you 10 go times out of 10 because yeah. google stadia relies on you having to have internet to be able to play the switch part of the beauty of it is you may not have internet but you could be sitting on the train with three other people who have mario kart and be like hey you guys want to play and you can use the switch to make an ad hoc wi-fi network between all of those and play together you can play whether you have internet or not. Stadia, like all these other cloud services, the limitation is if you don't have good internet service or you're traveling and internet service is going in and out of of high quality, the gaming experience is not going to be great. When it comes to my games, this is where I go, I would much rather have them locally with me than stream through the cloud. Whereas when it comes to movies and stuff, I'm kind of okay with digital copies and streaming and stuff like that because... I'm not really worried about whether I have them 24-7 or if the internet goes out, I can live without it. But when it comes to video games, I'd much rather have them on hand, be it in a physical or digital manner. All right. Well, I know I said it once. I'll say it again. Thank you very much, because I think this is really good for our audience. We've taken a lot of shots over the last year, and I think that it's good that we finally have some firsthand experience courtesy of you. And I think the shots were fair after looking at what it was a year ago. And I think some of them still are. It's a maturing service. I mean, they've made a lot of progress in a year. It's just... Okay, Chris. I'm so not the target. Steven was talking about shots at him, not shots at the device. Oh, well, we'll take shots at Steven all the time. <laughs> My bad. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Before we go, Chris Farrell, do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote? Maybe Google Stadia? No, I've been talking too much, so I don't know what I would want to promote right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get to SP, I'll just go ahead and promote better podcasting. I want you to check out better podcasting as well as the better podcasting live chat. If you didn't know this, back in January-ish, SP and I switched better podcasting to go every other week so that we would... Um, the better pack podcasting main show would be every other week. And then on the off weeks, we would do just a live stream that's unedited and posted. It's just where we do more of a raw chat, just what's going on in our worlds with podcasting, as well as questions and answers from the audience. And I hope you could check both of those out there because we've had uh, some people finally getting over to the live chat. We Not that we didn't always have people checking out the live chat, but I've been noticing that we've been having more and more people interact about our live chat show. So please check both of those out there if you like to listen to couple guys talk about making podcasts and things like that so please check that out over at betterpodcasting.com as well we do have a couple extra pieces of content over there including i gave a little update recently about the zoom l12 and a feature that was 
bloody well overdue to get added to the Zoom L12. Literally, I sent an email off like the first week that I had the L12 and it finally got fixed. So check that out at betterpodcasting.com. I will say that uh, improvement is a game changer. So a few things. First of all, I finally finished off my timeless watch, rewatch. It's not really rewatch. It was stream. I finally ended that. And we're just going to have to talk about that on a future show because I have some things to say about that. And it's at the end of a very long show, and I'm not going to go into it. Another show that I completed last night was the 2014 Cosmos of Space Time Odyssey. What a fantastic show. It's available on Prime. So go and watch that. It is 13 episodes. It was the reimagining of Carl Sagan's 1980s version, and it it was just so well done. I can't wait to get to the one that was put out this year. So there's two, and that opens the door for me to get caught up with Discovery for one. And on the treadmill, I'm able to watch for the first time ever The Clone Wars. So I'm on episode four right now. I'm taking it in Disney order just because it's easiest. So if you guys have, I know that there's a a, a way that you're supposed to watch it, but I just don't think I'm going to be able to do that while I'm on the treadmill. So if you guys want to talk to me about Clone Wars as I'm going through it, please let me know that. Also on the Gonna Geek Network this week over on Play Comics, Chris interviews two comic book creators in a special creators edition of Play Comics. The creators are Jen Hickman and Zach Thompson. They are the creators of the brand new comic Lonely Receiver, which is an amazing comic. It is about an AI and merged with a person and then them getting divorced basically after 10 years is a good way to think of it. There's four issues that are out right now. I've seen them in my comic book store. I have not picked them up, but after I read or watched or listened to this a podcast. I'm definitely interested in, in picking up at least episode one or uh, issue number one of this comic. So you can get that at gunnageek.com. Once again, that's Play Comics. It is The Lonely Receiver with Jen Hickman and Zach Thompson. Awesome. So for episode number 355 of the official gunnageek.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, Chris, thank you again for justifying all of our shots against Stadia. I'm Chris, and I'm taking shots at Steven. Pew, 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 pew. And I'm SP, reaching for my Nerf gun. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.